ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Darling, listen, I want to warn you, there are curse words ahead. Also, if you haven't watched the episode, what are you doing? Go now and watch it. We wouldn't want things to get spoiled now, would we? Good evening. I'm Helen Norville. And I'm Dale Jennings. You are watching News at Six. I'm Lisa. Someone's been shopping at DJ's Miller. (laughs) And I'm Lee. Take the pressure down, sales. Oh, thank God for the touch of John Farnham (laughs) at the end of that episode because the pressure was through the roof. (laughs) Welcome to the Newsreader Companion Podcast, Episode 3, Greed and Fear. Let's just remind people about the key moments. We're still in 1987 and it is the stock market crash that's the backdrop for this episode and you've got to guess that's going to be bad news for guys like little Charlie. Helen's secret is very close to being revealed by gossip columnists so we see that dreadful engagement suggestion. (laughs) On Jerry's advice, Dale thinks it's a great idea they get married. (laughs) Yeah, that was, um, yeah, I could see why Helen wasn't exactly swept off her feet by that um, proposal. I mean, Dale and Jerry seem like they're becoming quite good buddies, but I must admit one of my favourite moments in this episode was when Helen delivers that absolute blasting of Evelyn, and I'll have a bit more to say about that later. Yeah, and Evelyn's dealing with a pretty big family problem of her own in this episode, Kay's addiction. And also, what the hell is going on with Helen and Charlie? Very intriguing. Look, hang around because we've got the incredible Marg Downey coming up later this episode who plays Evelyn Walters. And costume designer Zed Dragojlovic, who have all the inside stories on pulling together the outfits for this show, including that salmon suit worn by Nolene in this episode. Oh, man, when she appeared wearing that. <laughs> Wasn't that just Someone's something? been shopping at DJ's. <laughs> Do you feel like Rob is a good fit for Nolene? Oh, I love him. I do. And I I've, I just think they have a lot of love and warmth together. Whether they're a good fit, oh, I don't know. Look, I, I've got quite an imagined story for the future of Rob and Nolene. I feel like he's a well-intentioned dude, but I think ultimately he might not be smart enough for her. And so in my mind, I mean, this is, I've given this way more thought than it really deserves, but in my mind, I feel like that he's a good starter husband and he's going to make a really nice ex-husband. I feel like he'll still be great with the kids. He'll be a very involved dad. They'll have a very There'll functional... There'll be no fight over the finances. No fight over the finances. They'll have a very functional relationship. But I think ultimately he's going to end up with a nice little blonde makeup artist and she's going to end up single, but she'll be running a very successful independent production company by her mid-40s and she's then going to sell that and be rich and make a lot of money. I think you're too harsh on Rob. (laughs) Can we just jump into that relationship, actually? Because the two of them, it was interesting on the stock market floor. This is now the big story of this episode. Uh, The stock market has crashed. It's 1987 and they head to the uh, stock market and no one is talking to Nolene, but they'll talk to Rob. Excuse Uh, me. If I could just ask you for a minute of your time. We're from New Zealand. Sir, could I just ask you for two minutes? We mate, are. Mate, uh, Rob Rickards, News at Six. Um, are you worried about what's going to happen today? Yeah, I know. And I must say, actually, as a female journalist of a certain age, I do 
know that vibe. And I, I don't know if you remember it because we both as young reporters covered state politics, you in Queensland, me in New South Wales. And I remember how I was one of the only women there and in press conferences and stuff, I would feel like it would be hard for me to get a look in. It's in our lifetime that one of our colleagues, the ABC's Juanita Phillips, had to fight to be able to wear pants when she was covering state politics in Queensland. That's incredible, This isn't it? is not ancient history here, right? In that scene and talking about the sexism, it's Rob who, when she comes out in that great suit, says but you're still going to wear skirts, right? I mean, Rob, as I say, although he's a well-intentioned guy, kind of like Jeff, you know, he is a product of that era. Um, I thought I might just give people a bit of a, you know, stock market crash 87 for dummies um, in case people don't remember it. So the worst day was called Black Monday and the stock market lost 25% in one day. It was just absolute pandemonium. And so it didn't just affect rich people, it affected all Australians because a lot of people are exposed to the share market through their retirement savings and so on and and through their businesses. And so people were absolutely terrified that we were going to see a 1930s style depression. And also there was a real fear that it was going to get even worse because people were going to rush to sell their shares before they went even lower. There's a little truck going. Oh, man, it's worse than yesterday. Just obliterated. Him, Holmes of Court, John Elliott. Highest profile loser so far. And it wasn't just a news story for the network. The network's boss, Charlie, has lost all his money. Yes, and look, we haven't spoken much about Charlie. Um, He's a very typical player of that era. The fact that we're watching this show in 2023 and we know that he's the son of a major media baron, it's probably leading people to think of James Packer and Lachlan Murdoch. But actually, if you remember that we're watching a show in the 1980s, he's more of a Christopher Scase or Alan Bond type. Now, for anyone um, who doesn't remember, there was this era in 1980s Australian television where these huge high-profile businessmen who didn't really know anything about TV (laughs) ran two of the three major television networks. So they're these guys who don't come from the world of TV, but they think they know more than they actually do. And then they come an absolute sudden cropper like Charlie does in the 87 stock market crash. So what happens to Charlie where he pretty much loses an absolute fortune overnight and then is humiliatingly splashed across the paper is actually pretty close to the reality of what did happen to those guys. Little chuck, little chuck, little chuck. And then what's Lindsay's reaction? It's to say, let's go to dinner on the network and <laughs> spend whatever is left. He is absolutely celebrating Chucky's downfall. I can't help it. I love Lindsay. I just he's he's an awful human being, but he's just such a great character. We finally know what's going on with Kay. So we've been wondering for these past couple of episodes. I'm sure there were listeners who were probably more clued into it than us, but I just kept obsessing about how much vodka she was drinking. Yeah. But it is, it's an addiction. It's a drug addiction. I mean, the most memorable scene for me in this episode is the one where the parents um, go to the flat. Oh, my God. Mm. Imagine walking in on that. Kay, 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 it's Danny. It's Danny, darling. Come on, darling. Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, ambulance. Uh, it's my daughter. I think she might have overdosed. Darling. I mean, we almost never hear about heroin these days, but in the 1980s, along mm. with AIDS, I'd say it's the social issue I most remember. 
And that's because Bob Hawke, the Prime Minister of the day, his daughter had a heroin addiction and he broke down famously talking about it. Yeah, and I remember Helen Garner's book uh, that she wrote about... Oh, yeah, the, Monkey Grip. And, and just so all of that was the time, the era. The other thing that really stuck with me with this episode, of course, is this scenario with the newspaper gossip writer Donna Gillies. She's got the gossip on Helen. Um, Finally, a word is used to describe it's schizophrenia that we're now told about Helen. And they're trying to then work out what to do with it. Here's the scene that really hit me hard. Tonight, share prices drop around the world. And stock markets are gripped by frantic selling. Good evening. I'm Helen Norville. Helen's on air talking about the stock market, but she's sucking back the tears because all she can think about is this article that's going to drop, that's going to blow her life up. I don't know about you, Salzy, but after 30 years in this business, there have been times where I've had to suck back the tears on air because something's going on in your personal life that you need to try and push down to then be that wall of neutrality and expertise and... Or sometimes also what would happen to me is something would appear in a story on the show that would be triggering for something with me that happened in my private life and then you'd have to maintain composure. So I remember a few weeks after my father died, at his funeral, um, the song True Blue by John Williams was played and then this story came on at the end of the show and the whole bed of the story was that piece of music and it, and it was like, oh, my God, now I've got to back up and just keep carrying on. It's, you know, really, really difficult. Why is Helen so pally with Charlie? Is it a power move? I what don't do you know think how this has happened. Yeah, is there a genuine frisson between them or is it just straight power play? I've got no idea. Yeah, same. I'm baffled by that. And is it going to turn into something? Or... I, don't, I don't know because Charlie's kind of repulsive, right? But then Helen's so kind of odd that I just wonder if she's just trying to suck up to little Charlie. I'm terribly sorry oh. for barging in, but I need your help. I need help pulling an article from the sun. It's it's a very invasive piece and if it if it's published it's going to be very bad for me and very bad for your network. I don't know, but can I also just say that awful proposal from <laughs> Dale. I mean, what is the guy thinking? I think we should go see Donna alone. Jerry said if we promise to prioritize her for future stories. I, I don't want her in our lives, Dale. But we could offer her a major story. What if we offer her an engagement. And that's the proposal. I know. And Helen, quite rightly, is like, oh, mate, come on. And the other scene that I thought about with Dale and Helen and their relationship, right at the beginning when they're at Jerry and his wife's place. Say nighty, nighty, kiss me. Night, night, darling. Night, night, just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me. But I'm alone and blue as can be. Jerry and his daughter are there. They're playing the piano. They're all lovey-dovey family-wise. Oh, yeah, the, the look piano. on Dale's face is that this is what I want. That's right at the beginning of the episode and then he's proposing to Helen. Oh, so I feel yeah. we came full circle with that. But still, what he wants out of life, he's not getting. Yeah, right. Interesting. Interesting. 
I last spoke to Morris at 4 p.m. just to see if there was any way to authorize the sale. He told me Kay sold those shares several months ago. She's lying to our faces. And it's not the first time. I don't know what more I can do. I need you to address it. So the woman who plays Evelyn so fabulously is Marg Downey, and she's with us now. Marg, hello. Hello. It's so nice to be here. Marg, Evelyn's one of my favourite characters because I just find her so rich in terms of her complexity. Tell us a bit about how you view Evelyn. It's interesting because when I was asked to audition for it, I thought, what an intriguing sort of choice to suggest me for this role. But as soon as I got the script, I thought, I can do this. I've met these women. Dare I say it, there are a couple of women who were friends of my mother's. Well, she wasn't terribly close to them for this very reason. And, you know, she was reminiscent of them, those sort of people who are the power behind the throne and sort of, um, although they look as though they might not be manipulating things behind the scenes, in fact, they're very powerful. Oh, yeah. So Evelyn might be behind her husband, but man, she's pulling all the strings She is, and she's across so many things. Um, She's obviously a very, very smart, capable woman, and she can do anything from cooking a roast cleaning the swimming pool, being across their finances and their stocks and shares and understanding the politics of the newsroom. Um, She's absolutely a powerhouse. And I think we've probably in our careers all crossed paths with people like that. 100%. She was so familiar to me, even though I couldn't immediately, you know, name somebody, but there yes. was something so familiar. In fact, she it's interesting you said that she reminded you of some of your mother's friends because when as soon as you said that, I thought of the mother of one of my friends and she was the kind of woman who would ask you questions like, and dear, what does your father do? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. People who are preoccupied with status. Yes, yes. <laughs> Can I ask you about that really powerful scene when Helen comes to the door and she's pounding on it and she gives you a serve Mm. like we have not seen before. How much of that was scripted and how much was improvised? It was improvised on Anna's part and not improvised on mine. I'm a dag and a nerd and very script-bound. Anna, on the other hand, is fantastic at improvising, feeling it in the moment, changing the script. Um, So it's a matter of kind of going with that. I found it a little bit nerve-wracking, but it really worked because I didn't know what was going to appear at that door and I opened it and I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but go go for it. it. Whatever, (laughs) you know, you are a fucking bitch. Evelyn, you are a fucking bitch. I mean, I knew that you were low, but I didn't think even you would stoop this low. I didn't think that even you were capable of that. Sorry, I don't know what you're referring to. You know exactly what I'm referring to. And it's quite confronting. I mean, it was bloody confronting. I'm sure that wasn't in the script. That wasn't the opening line. So it was like, oh, my God. (laughs) You have done nothing with your life except stand in the shadows and try and tear everyone down. And the fact that you both stand on this moral high ground, looking down your nose and judging everyone... 
want you to know that I know exactly who you are and I know exactly what you both stand for. And the funny thing is Anna and I really hadn't crossed paths much throughout the production <laughs> because there was one scene in series one where we were at a party and I was really frosty to her, really rude. So this was our next interaction in well, the series. We saw it on your face, oh. like your facial Oh, that's one of my favourite. There's this oh. cutaway of you, Marg, and it's just your face is so beautiful because it's like you're conveying or Evelyn is conveying... Um, Oh, this vulgarity. But then also there's this just hint of satisfaction on your face. <laughs> it's all of the above, isn't it? It's a it's a blend of being shocked, but then she knew completely what she'd been up to, of course. <laughs> That's why she's such a delicious character, because of yes. the, the combination of that, well, you've got to do everything properly, and, and she's very proper, but then also this kind of undercurrent of the skullduggery. It's- oh, I know. It's just a wonderful role. Can you please answer a question for yeah. us that Salesy was obsessed about? Ooh. Why did you just want to keep feeding sausages and chips to Kay on election <laughs> night? Oh, what was that about? I don't think that I ever even asked that question. I think she was trying to sort of get down and dirty Evelyn style. <laughs> <laughs> You'll eat these goddamn sausages and chips. And sausages was her way of sort of, you know, you know um, how that... News chief Charlie wants to make it a sort of backyard barbecue vibe. Backyard barbecue. Well, maybe, I don't know. So, in the first podcast, Lee says to me, Hey, Lisa, why do you think Evelyn wants her to eat sausages so much? (laughs) And I said, Man, we've got this powerful television drama. And you want me to talk about sausages? I mean, I don't know why she wants them to it eat is sausages. Intriguing. I agree. I should have um, dug down on the sausages. It was kind of Evelyn was being so passive aggressive about it because Kay's like, "No thanks, I don't want the sausages." Oh, but darling, you must have the sausages. And chips. This, this could be the unanswered question of this entire podcast. I know. Get I know. your viewers to send in their suggestions. Now, this world of the eighties newsrooms and newsreaders, you must have had to study this a little bit because you famously many years ago were known for being the person who did the Yarn event impersonation. Yes, it sort of came full circle, didn't it? <laughs> I I was in those makeup rooms with a lot of those, uh, both at the ABC when I was doing Degeneration and also Fast Forward. That whole vibe of the news was something that you know, I was pretty familiar with, even though, and although I was sort of satirising it, I suppose you could say. Um, well, I was, no doubt about it. Um, yeah. So can you give us, can you still do Yana? I can do Yana. And oh. here's something I prepared earlier. Oh, Mark, you What legend. a treat. You legend. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I'm Yana Venn. Tonight, the extraordinary story of two gun journalists who decide to host a companion podcast. We look at the dramas behind the scenes and ask, can best friends successfully work together? Also, I'll be offering advice on how to improve their interview techniques. <laughs> Join me with Lisa Miller and Lee Sales after the break. <laughs> She hasn't disappeared from my psyche. (laughs) That is so brilliant. You met her, didn't you? What was her reaction? I met her at the Logies and she was absolutely lovely, charming, 
wasn't offended. Um, I, my sister worked in the current affair office in Melbourne, just coincidentally. So she that. had a bit of intel um, that Yana, you know, she liked the impersonation. She she didn't mind it at all. She thought it was good and she was absolutely lovely. Well, it's kind of flattering, isn't it, if you've made it big enough that you've got your own impersonation. Oh, did everyone feel that way, though? <laughs> no. Did other t- no, no, oh. no. There were other people who would write in saying, how dare you, this is not appropriate. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I won't well, can mention you tell us names. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. In episode three that we've just seen, Evelyn tips off a gossip columnist about Helen's mm. mental um, health issues. Have you ever had to deal with tabloids yourself? Like I have. In, oh. Ooh, there was a ripper. Um, what happened was I was getting married and I was offered quite a lot of money for the sneak peeks of the wedding ceremony. and uh, But it was only, it was just my family, my husband. Uh, I think there were about 20 people in, in, in the church. And I wrote back to them saying, no, look, this is a very private affair and thanks very much for the offer, but no, thank you. And we just had a small party at my parents that night. And uh, sure enough, you know, this paparazzi person jumped out from behind the bushes, put the snap of the wedding in the magazine with a quote, they didn't even ask me. <gasps> no. You know, it was Marg says she's deliriously happy. I mean, <laughs> okay, I was, but, you know, you could they probably just bet made on that, that up. You could wow. bet on that. And uh, I should have taken the money. But, <laughs> yeah, that's right, they ran it anyway, but you didn't get any cash. Anyway. Um, one of our other favourite characters in the show is T and Three Sugars Cheryl, the makeup artist. Can you tell us a bit about that awkward scene in episode two where Cheryl comes around to ask Evelyn if Evelyn's the leak? Oh, you didn't pass that on, did you? Sorry? Last night. Cheryl, I would never exploit a family's tragedy like that. Oh, I know. <laughs> of course not. I'm um, shocked that you would even... No, no, I'm not saying that. Well, what are you saying? Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I must be just, just, Sorry, I must just still be a bit rattled or... <laughs> Can we just... Hey, oh, I had a really good idea um, for a hairstyle for the uh, Variety Club luncheon. Oh, well. We'll see. Goodness. It was just wonderful to work with her. Why? <laughs> and tell, make us, her well, tell us more. Yeah. Um, well, as Evelyn. It, it was... Yeah, it, when you watch when you watch the scene, I'm just so mean and cruel, mm. and it's obvious and, that and I she's... was the leak. I will <laughs> see that we'll see is so cruel, and she only pays her twenty bucks. I don't know if you picked up on that when mm. I open my wallet. I, I just take out a twenty dollar note and give her that, and she sort of mm-hmm. is it worth it? <laughs> Marg Downey, thanks so much for joining us today on the Newsreader podcast. It has been such a pleasure. Thanks so much. It was lovely to meet you. 
to shift to something super shallow, what kind of stuff were you wearing when you started out as a TV news journal? Okay, I've got an embarrassing story because I used to wear Q all the time Same. with the big gold buttons. Yes, but you weren't the North Queensland reporter <laughs> where it was 35 degrees and humidity of 110%. I rotted the lining out of the inside of the jackets. What? What was I thinking? I'm out there doing stories about bush pig hunting and rainforests, and I'm wearing a bright pink short-sleeved Q jacket with gold buttons. Wow, that's so funny. But that's what I was wearing too. I mean, as you correctly point out, I wasn't in far north Queensland, but I was in Queensland. So you'd be out at protest marches and things, and I was always wearing Q. Q must have been the shop yeah, of choice. Go to. It was yep. the uniform. <laughs> yeah, and so I'd be wearing suits as well. And as you say, I mean, I never rotted the lining out of mine. <laughs> But you'd be sweating like anything. And I just, now I look back and think, why weren't we comfortable just wearing a nice yeah. open neck shirt? But people didn't. Yeah, exactly. You wore the power suit when you were a TV journo. They've absolutely nailed all the outfits oh. in this episode. And the man behind them is Zed Dragojlovic. And he joins us now. Zed, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Can I just kick off straight away? Where are you getting the material from? Where are you getting these outfits? I guess there's a different sort of method for each character. For example, say with Dale and Helen, we knew that they would be able to access the better range of fashion labels of the time because they would have had a network stylist. So, you know, the likes of Valentino, Ungaro, and then also Australian labels like, say, Covers or Carlos and Patty were quite fashionable then. So that's why it was really good to look at Australian fashion magazines to see what was being worn in this country. Do you ever stumble across in your line of work, you'll be, you know, in a Vinnie's or something and you go, oh my God, it's an actual original Harry Who suit. I'm just going to buy it because I might be able to use it for something. Yes, all the time. Less so now, I've got to say. A couple of years ago, those sort of finds were easy to come by. But even now, like the women working in the Salvos and the Red Cross, they've got their little, you know, <laughs> iPhone out and they're, they're putting in um, Valentino, Ungaro. They've got an idea of how much things cost. Right. Um, but look, I certainly have picked up incredible vintage pieces for next nothing. And they've, oh, sorry, love, it's $30. And I'm looking at it thinking, this is priceless. If I wanted to sell this, it would be you know, $1,000. There was one find up just quickly. I had yeah. a buyer who rang me up and said, look, I know it's during work hours, but I've just found a Thierry Mugler purple suede suit. Do you need it? And I said, no, we don't need a, a vintage 80s suede suit. And I said, why don't you buy it? Just, you know, you buy it, keep it for yourself. She put it on um, an auction site. She sold it for $7,500. No. I think she bought it for... I think it was a lot. I think it was like $100 or something. Wow. And I remember I said, what are you going to do with the money? She said, I'm going to fund my trip to Paris. So she took her and her boyfriend to Paris for two weeks. How fantastic. From an op shop find. I think it was in Mordialic. Oh, that's so fantastic. <laughs> there are great stories That's the like sound that. of everyone racing to Mordialic. <laughs> so can I ask you about some specific outfits that yes. we saw, that fabulous suit that Nolene pops up in, whether you call it pink or coral or salmon. <laughs> Tell me what went into working out what you were going to put her in. And this is where Nolene is taking Helen's advice to kind of up the ante and really look like a producer and yeah. not a schoolgirl. I, th- I was going to say the line was stop looking like a schoolgirl. So our job basically to present her with 
I guess, elements of the 80s. So I said, look, come into the office and just try on a whole heap of things. And quite often we collect things in costume and they don't end up on anyone's back, but they're references. So it might be a shoulder that we like or it might be a lapel that we like. I kind of refer to it as Frankenstein designing because you're kind of piecing together (laughs) one thing from one jacket and another element from another piece. So, look, she tried on a lot of really beautiful 80s suits, but they actually looked too contemporary. It's, I guess it's just to our eye now, large shoulder pads and oversized is reasonably fashionable. Yeah. So what did you do? So she tried on a lot of really lovely suits and a lot of ugly suits. And there was this quite nasty polyester taffeta with flock polka dots all over it. I haven't heard that word for ages. (laughs) And and it was double-breasted and the shape was quite extreme. It had big shoulder pads. It had puffy sleeves. It had a mutton leg sort of sleeve. So it's wide up the top and narrowed down the bottom. Then it double-breasted and had this peplum that just came straight out from the waist. I hope everyone understands these (laughs) terms. It actually came with a skirt. So and she said, this jacket is amazing. I said, okay, let's find a pant. I mean, she was really dead certain that it had to be a pantsuit. So we found like a really high-waisted pant, part of another suit, which had a wide leg and a calf. And I said, I think we found our shape. We put the two together. She looked at the silhouette and said, this is amazing. And then I said, what colour do you want it to be? And she said, a colour that you haven't used. And obviously Helen, being the news presenter, you know, gets the full colour range. And I thought, well, what's one colour she'd never wear? <laughs> you know, I said, well, she'd never wear pink. And I just happened to have this sort of salmon, um, pink wool sitting there. And I said, what about in this? And we did it. Let's talk a bit about Marg Downey, who plays Evelyn. Can you drill down into her look for us and what you were going for there? It was just about continuing... I guess the DNA of that character, very structured, uh, precise tailoring. I was struck by her outfits that you never see any of her body. It's almost like armour, that kind of tailoring. So we did try a few flowing things on Marg and it just looked like somebody else. Right. So when you're developing a character, what you're looking for when you put the clothes on is something that kind of speaks really clearly about the character And then when you try something else and you feel like you've lost the essence of that character, then you know you're going in the wrong direction. That's like real life too, though, right? Which is that, you know, I sometimes look at things that my friends wear and I think, you look fantastic in that. But if I showed up in that, everyone would go, oh, Salzy's finally had that nervous breakdown we thought she was going to (laughs) have. But but on that, um, for example, uh, you probably have a particular style that you wear every day, but you allow yourself... Pajamas. Tracksuits. By 9pm. But you would have a dress that you like to wear for a special event, or you might have your favourite coat, or even just something you have sentimental attachment to. So that's in real life. You can use those tools in storytelling, but sometimes they can be quite distracting. Zed, with Marg Downey, she's been in television and on film for so long. Was there anything that came up from her past that helped? When I was going around and looking for clothes, I had a friend of mine, Michael Chisholm, who's a costume designer, um, come on as, as a creative consultant. I said, Michael, this is perfect for you. He did Chances. He did oh, all great. of those big 80s shows. So I knew 
one, he had a really good eye for the 80s, but I knew he had stock <laughs> of all these clothes because he's a hoarder. And um, we were in his warehouse in Morty Alec, so that's <laughs> Morty Alec is obviously the There's place to be, um, going through his stock and I pulled out this amazing oversized houndstooth jacket and he said, Zed, I made that for Mark back in the 80s. And we pulled it out and it had her name oh, sewn in there. No way. So um, I brought it to the fitting and I said, Mark, I've got something special for you. And I pulled out the jacket and she shrieked. <laughs> she remembered it. And because we we're all now rushing to Morty Alec, because that's where apparently all the fashion kings go, I can tell everyone who's listening, it's about 25 kilometres south of Melbourne on the beaches. Never knew that that's where you could pick up some absolute gold. Zed, thank you so much for coming in and chatting. No, thank you. So presumably next time we're going to see the wash-up from this K tragedy. Yikes, that's going to be intense for Jeff and Evelyn to come to terms with. Oh, absolutely. I'm dreading that. And I'm also thinking we've still got this kind of slow plod towards the big party. What what big party? <laughs> the bicentennial, you doofus. It's what the whole <laughs> oh, series that. is about. <laughs> God, right. Um, okay, well, if there's any other people out there that, um, you know, might enjoy the company of a doofus, apparently, like <laughs> me and Lisa Miller, talking about the newsreader, uh, let your friends know to come and join us and, um, and join this very fun conversation. Absolutely. You can follow us on the ABC Listen app, find the newsreader. And don't forget, you can catch up on the newsreader TV series on ABC iView. Tell your friends. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thanks to our producer, Michelle Weeks, and our executive producer, Alex Lolbach. Sound engineer is Angela Grant, and the manager of ABC Podcasts is Monique Bowley. I'm Dale Jennings. This has been News at Six. Good night, Australia. And we're out. Hi, it's Yumi Steins here, host of the smash hit ABC podcast, Ladies, We Need to Talk. Now, speaking of smashing, Ladies is the podcast where we smash taboos around sex, health and relationships. Into me, see means you know me. I feel known by you. It's about the things we struggle to share even in private with our very best friends because it's shameful, because it's embarrassing or because we're told it's not normal. What a load of rubbish, we say. The crying that was coming out of me was guttural. It was coming from a depth that I didn't even know I had. So join me on Ladies We Need to Talk. Find us on the ABC Listen app.